I'm Robin Crane, and this is the Growing Your Financial Business, The Woman's Way podcast. Listen, I was a financial advisor for over a decade, and I got so sick of the old archaic strategies that your grandpa used to get clients. What the industry teaches today is still so outdated and just doesn't work anymore. So I had to find a better way for myself, and then I got obsessed with sharing these how-tos with other women like me. The stuff I teach doesn't require giving up your life, your sanity, or your family time. I want women like you to have it easier than I had it, so you can thrive in the industry. I've now helped thousands of women grow their financial businesses to multiple six figures, some even seven figures per year. So on this podcast, you're going to get an inside look at how they did it so you can do it too. Let's dive into the show. I am here with Nancy Davis, who founded Quadratic Capital in 2013. She is the portfolio manager for the Quadratic Interest Rate Volatility and Inflation Hedge ETF. Got it all in. The ticker is IVOL and the Quadratic Deflation ETF, ticker is BNDD, in case you want to use those guys. And we'll talk more about that in a second. Also, she's the recipient of numerous industry recognitions. Barron's named her uh, her to their inaugural list of the 100 most influential women in U.S. finance. Institutional investor called her a rising star of hedge funds. And there's so much more here, but um, she started her career at Goldman Sachs. But let's get into it. You can tell us more. Um, so... Tell us a little about your journey, I mean, especially from Goldman Sachs. And what we want to focus on, I know this will go in that direction, is really how you, those of you listening as an advisor or um, an insurance professional growing your business, can really use technology and different um, opportunities and options like ETFs to grow your business. So give us a little background first, though, Nancy, if you would. Yeah, no, I, I was very fortunate to um, to spend about a decade at Goldman. Um, it was a very entrepreneurial firm. When I joined, it was actually pre-IPO. So it was when it was still a partnership. And so it was a great place to grow up, I think, especially as a, uh, as a young woman, because um, I was on the trading desk. Most of my time there, I spent on the prop trading desk. So it was no, no clients. It was only Goldman's capital. This is a really uh, very flat, flat environment. I think trading is the ultimate meritocracy. And uh, I think it definitely started my, my entrepreneurial roots. I've been running my own firm for uh, about nine years now, and um, it's been really exciting. And uh, I'm excited to, you know, I think every financial advisor out there, it, it really is running your own business, right? You have, you might have be part of a bigger firm, but you're growing your business, you're growing your clients. I'm excited to be here with you today, Robin, to hopefully inspire and give some ideas and also share um, some lessons learned with uh, with your audience. Perfect. Thank you. So how did you even get, I'm curious, just like, how did you even get to Goldman Sachs? It sounds like you're young going in there and that's crazy pre-IPO. That's just, I, I didn't even know like that. I'm happened. old. <laughs> that's what that means. Is yeah, I'm really, old. Really, really young to be pre-IPO, but I don't know when that happened. Like I wasn't aware, you know, because I probably wasn't into it, but how did you even get into that? And yeah, start there because I'm curious how that happened. Well, I I didn't grow up in uh, in New York City. I had actually um, I didn't know anybody at the firm. Um, I didn't actually know anybody on Wall Street. Um, when I was uh, in college, I started learning about financial derivatives, and I just thought they were really really cool. And I think whenever you're really into something and it just interests you, and you do it for your your free time and and for fun. I think it probably made my resume stand out a little bit. Um, I applied you on your resume, like I do financial derivatives for fun, exclamation point. <laughs> it's not so dirty, but <laughs> I don't know. I was, I was into it. And um, yeah, it was just fortunate. It was uh, 1997. 
when I, uh, I sent my resume in off the internet and I think it was probably lucky timing. That's probably, you know, now if you send your resume off the internet, they probably don't read it right? or some like text mining reads it That's early on. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's early. Early. Yeah. I was fortunate. You were tech savvy, like before anyone knew what tech savvy meant. It sounds like. <laughs> um, yeah, that's pretty good. Okay. So you, you, you just wanted that you're interested in it, got the job. That's cool. And then um, what was what was your main role like during that time? Because you said it was entrepreneurial, or but how was it entrepreneurial in that sense? Were you growing a book of business, or what mm-hmm. was your role there? Yeah, so it's it's entrepreneurial in the sense that I had a lot of career growth over my um, almost ten years at the firm. Um, I uh, you know where I started and where I ended were wildly different places. Um, I was always involved with derivatives, but in let's see, like ninety nine. Um, I started, uh, you know, kind of running my own uh, portfolio, being a portfolio manager. Then I got tapped. Um, at Goldman Sachs, you had your own? Goldman, all, all at Goldman Sachs. Wow, that's crazy. And then uh, I got um, promoted to be part of the proprietary trading group, which was really cool. Um, it was a really elite desk. It used to be called Risk Arbitrage. It was where, you know, Robert Rubin was from that team. Eric Mindich was from that team. Danny Ock was from that team. So it was a really premier um, group to be in. And uh, if I was cooler. And, I'd know who every single one of those people are, but they sound very high end. <laughs> well, they're, they're old now. They're all old, but it was, it was just a really fun place to be. And then in, let's see, 2003, I got promoted. Um, I was still part of the prop team, but in 2003, I was promoted to be the head of credit derivatives and OTC trading for the global team. And I ran the group for about five years. So it was a really- right, right in the nick of time when 2000 and 2008. So how, that's interesting. Yeah. Cause I mean, it seems like a crazy time, 2008 to be part of derivatives. Well, I, I was very fortunate cause I actually resigned from Goldman um, in January, 2008 after bonuses to join JP Morgan's hedge fund. So I was- uh-huh. That was the largest hedge fund in the world at the time um, called Highbridge. Um, and I was the, I believe I was the only female portfolio manager globally at the firm so, at that time. So it was, a, it was, it was, I feel like so much of your career is, you know, everybody's smart in this industry. And, um, but I think a lot of it is what group you're with, what products you're with, and also a little bit of luck that goes into it with, you know, it was a good time good time to leave Goldman at that point to go yeah. to hedge funds. So. Wow. That's insane. So do you manage your own money now? I like, have advisors. Like I yeah. don't want to say I, I definitely have, you know, experts across the board. And I think it's really important. Like nobody knows everything. And there's so much um, like with estate planning, insurance, tax, there are so many different facets. So yes, I have a lot of advisors, but in terms of like asset allocation, you know, I, uh, I do that on my own because I really, I enjoy, Thing, yeah. you know, thinking about asset allocation and, and how to construct portfolios. Is that all on the fixed income side that you do for yourself or you do both? Yeah. So, so quadratic um, is uh, we have two fixed income ETFs, but we have experience across all five asset classes, which is what I was also doing at Goldman. Now we're not, we're not picking stocks. Like this is not, I think a lot of people think, you know, equities, they think stocks. So for us, it's more like country sector thematic bets um, and I like ETFs a lot for that because you can have, you know, if you want, for instance, semiconductors, you know, spending the time to go through and look at all the different semiconductors in the world, it takes a lot of time. Whereas I think having, you know, kind of more, more thematic uh, views using ETFs is really a great technology. And that's 
one of the things that we do with the quadratic ETFs is we give access to the um, inflation markets, which are, it's a rates market. It's a biggest asset cost in the world actually is the rates market. And a lot of people just don't necessarily think about that market because they're more familiar with looking at you know, equities and stocks or or traditional just just regular bonds. Let's dive into that for a second because I want to get smarter right now. <laughs> so um, when you say that's the biggest asset class, you're talking about rates. Obviously, there's a lot going on with the Fed increasing rates. Um, can you touch upon that? So how are you able to, are you capitalizing on that? Is that like a, you know, you're able to, you know, use this as a good thing for you and how is that working out? Well, the rate markets are young. I think that's one thing that you have to keep in mind is a lot of people right now, we have inflation at 40 year highs. We just had the, you know, another CPI print, like super, super hot inflation. But a lot of people look at what happened in the seventies because that was the only stuff that existed in the last period of high inflation. Um, for instance, the TIPS market, which are treasury inflation protected securities, that wasn't even created in, until 1997. That's when the US Treasury created the TIPS market. So you can't just look at the 70s to say what worked then when you're thinking about inflation because the, the derivative markets, the rate markets, they just weren't that developed back then. Even the, the credit markets, you know, the, the credit indices and other for CDS that really didn't start until the data goes back to 2004. A lot of that was driven by, by the financial crisis. So I think it's just it's really important when you're constructing portfolios that everything doesn't go down together, right? That's that's a whole point of portfolio and asset allocation. And I think 2020 has been a real wake-up call to a lot of advisors because stocks, bonds, credit, mortgages, like everything's gone down together, um, maybe with the exception of real estate. And so I think it's a super important time to be thinking about accessing other markets like the rates market that might not necessarily be on somebody's radar, but it can give potentially non-correlated returns to other asset classes. How do you, and besides just getting your ETFs, I'm assuming that's the best way to access the rates market because I, I wouldn't know, I mean, not just as I used to be a financial advisor for a decade and I'm still like, what exactly is the rates market? Like what, do you, what exactly do you mean? And I understand when you're saying tips and, and, and that sort of thing, but are you basically talking about just like based on the rates that the Fed's going to dictate, at least as far as here, like how can we take advantage and actually like make money from that? Yeah. So, so we're taking only like I'm 10. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, the, the problem with tips by themselves, and I think a lot of people just don't know this, but I started my career back then is the, the one index that resets tips and think about it like equities, you know, nobody would ever buy the Dow Jones index or the Russell index or the NASDAQ index and say, ta-da, I have the U S equity market. Right. And, and, the equity market, there are more ETFs than stocks. So it should be, since it's so much smaller, it should be pretty easy to measure, but nobody would, would use one index. In the inflation markets, tips are only reset with the consumer price index. That's a number that came out this morning. Think about it. It's just- What was the number this morning? I didn't know. <laughs> it was over nine. Um, oh, it's, it's, yeah. It's, uh, and it's lagged because, and that's a big- thesis that we have, we take a TIPS portfolio and then we try to fix the issues that exist with this type of treasury bond on its own, because number one, the only measure of inflation is the CPI. And I don't know if you knew this, but the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the BLS, calculates the CPI. Um, 
a third of that index is rent. It's owner-occupied rent. Um, so rent has only gone up a little over 5%, whereas home ownership, if you look at an index like Case-Shiller's, is up 20%. So CPI is probably a little lagging and not the only way to think about inflation. So we take right, that- And they're not including like things like every day, like my gardener came to my door the other day and he, he knocked on my door and I'm like, like, hello, yes, I'm in the middle of something, of course. And he's like, start telling me about how equipment costs are going up and how, you know, labor costs are going up. And I'm like, okay, spare the sob story, dude. I, I know it's coming, but like, I get it. Because I, I have the office in front of the house, so I get the doorbell rings, you know. Yeah. Um, but he was, you know, a very sweet guy. But he was just like, uh, yeah, the rates, you know, I have to increase my prices. And I'm like, okay, how much? And he says 50%. And I said, what, 50%? Like we're paying 200 bucks, it's a $100 increase. I'm like, are you are you kidding me? Like a hundred bucks? And he said, 15%, like he was kind of being sheepish, you know, I couldn't hear him very well, but I was like, oh good, only $30. <laughs> then you're answer. happy with 15. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. But like 15% even, and he's probably just like being cautious, right? It's just because this even 9% is is totally not accurate. So yeah, we're not seeing that. It's like I, the, I would say it's the first time I've ever seen inflation happen before my eyes. Like, no. I think that's really the key message is that for financial advisors, they have to be thinking about inflation as part of their asset allocation because we haven't had inflation really in our in our lifetime, right? It hasn't really been a it, it hasn't been an issue before the seventies. Right now, inflation is raging and. It's very surprising to a lot of financial advisors, but inflation expectations are very contained. Even though realized inflation is at 40-year highs, you know, if you look at the, the measure of just tips, for instance, uh, the 10-year tip, the level of CPI is about 2.3%, which is incredibly low. It's just barely over the Fed's 2% target. So the disconnect between inflation expectations and realized inflation is at all-time highs. And then the measure of inflation that we add, in addition to CPI for IVAL, um, the IVAL ETF, it's sitting at you know 22-year lows. And there's like not many things that you can buy in fixed income markets, even financial markets that are trading at 22-year lows, especially when our day-to-day life is, you know, your are you saying you're like, it's like, I, I want to make sure I understand here. We got to go slow for some of the people around here, me. Um, so <laughs> if 22 lows, you're saying like, you're getting things at a discount, 22%? Is that what it, you're it's 22%. It, it, over a 22-year piece of data, inflation expectations measured by interest rate differentials has never been lower, right? Because the Fed sets policy rates, and right now, the interest rate markets, when I talk about the rates markets, I'm talking about the, the interest rate markets. Right. Interest rate markets believe right now that the Fed hiking rates is going to slow inflation dramatically. And that's right. where I think there's a really- That's why they're doing it. Otherwise, I don't know why they would do it, right? That's, but that's right. That's going to hit demand, right? That's going to hit the demand side of the equation, but it doesn't help the supply side of the equation. It doesn't make you know more chips- uh, coming into this country for automobiles and washing machines, it's not going to make the price of diesel for your yard person's uh, lawnmower go down, right? It's not going to make Russia stop invading Ukraine. It's not going to fix a lot of the labor market shortages that we're experiencing globally with you know more job openings and people looking for work. So right. I think the problem is, is that a lot of the rates market is saying the Fed's hiking rates, it's going to kill inflation. And so in all asset classes, you want to buy low, right? And future inflation expectations are incredibly low. And that's really puzzling. And I think 
very curious to people. A lot of people don't know that. And going back to financial advisors, I think especially if financial advisors have retirees, like just think about somebody's personal balance sheet. If you're not in the labor market and you're not working, you're not going to benefit from wage inflation, right? Mm -hmm. You're just going to have a higher cost of living. And most likely you probably have more allocated to fixed income because you want less risk, right? But like the 10-year treasury just lost more than the S&P in the first six months of 22. Did you know that the the 10-year treasury is down more than the S&P 500? So Mm -hmm. bonds are not safe. I know there was a crossover, which is like a major thing, right? Uh, With short-term and 10-year treasuries, right? Yeah, the crossover being the curve is inverted. Like right Right. now, let me let me just share numbers with you because this is pretty wild. You can buy a um, a six month T bill right now and get paid two point eight percent. This is for a six month T bill, like very little duration. It's a T bill. If you buy a ten year Treasury, you get paid two point nine percent. Right? That's that's. That's like, yeah, (laughs) it's crazy. And the two year interest rate, because that has all the hike expectations for the Fed is 3.38%. So when people are talking about the yield curve is about 40 basis points inverted in the rates market, which is, which is the market saying the Fed hiking rates is going to slow growth and slow inflation. So it's a pretty, pretty opportune time to say, look, don't be a macro tourist. Don't make a bet about whether inflation is going to be transitory or persistent or stagflationary. It's just a good time to add that diversification to portfolios, especially in fixed income, because a lot of a lot of financial advisors use the AG index, right? The, it used to be the Lehman AG, and then it was called the Barclays AG, and now it's called the Bloomberg AG. It's the same old school index that's been around even before the treasury invented the tips market in 1997. So it has no inflation protection in it. And it's only short fixed income volatility because mortgages are, you know, if you think about what a mortgage is, homeowners are along the option to prepay. So some people call mortgages negative convexity, which is just a fancy word for saying short options, short volatility. So places that people have mortgages or the Barclays AG, about a third of the AG is mortgages, those group of clients are only short interest rate volatility. And so that's what IVAL helps to do because we give access to long interest rate volatility, which means basically when as the Fed's reducing their balance sheet and the markets move more, that tends to make volatility go up in price. And if you think about an investor's fixed income portfolio, they generally want to do well when equities are selling off and also to have that monthly distribution. Um, I've always paid out since we started paying distributions in July, 2019. Um, so right when the, the fund listed, it's almost three years, we paid out a minimum of 30 basis points a month. But we do that by taking interest rate spread risk, not credit spread risk. So it's a different type of spread risk Um, most investors to take, you know, to get that enhanced coupon and also that enhanced potential return, they add more corporate risk to the portfolio, right? Like simple example, if you own Apple stock and Apple corporate bonds and Apple has higher labor costs or a chip shortage or, you know, um, supply chain disruptions, the whole corporate, 
you know, credit tends to widen, meaning sell off when equities sell off. So a lot of investors are using eyeball to help diversify their core fixed income and also to add another type of spread risk without adding more, more corporate risk, especially, especially if we're going into a stagflationary environment, which is, you know, kind of what we've seen for 2022, where stocks and bonds can sell off together. That is a lot. Okay, so let me, <laughs> let me back up a step. Let me back up a step. So this is good. This is good because I'm I'm learning a lot and digesting a little. No, I'm digesting. Um, so so going back a step. So basically, IVOL, just to make sure everyone's listening, IVOL is the ticker for this um, inflationary. How would you describe it again? Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah. It's exactly, it's not eyeball, it's um, eyeball, like inflation, inflation yeah. volatility or interest rate volatility. Um, that's what the fund accesses. So it actually buys interest rate options inside the fund, plus 80% of the portfolio approximately is treasuries. So it's a treasury tips portfolio, which are treasury inflation protected securities, mm-hmm. plus long interest rate options to get that other measure of inflation outside of just the consumer price index. Okay. And the goal, like anything, is that we want to beat inflation, right? So, but you're, what you're saying is, I don't think you're saying, you didn't say this, but I'm extrapolating here. You're not necessarily saying like only go fixed income and use our ETFs. You're just saying, here's another way where you can take less risk still in a way that's fixed income, because you're not going to expect to beat inflation, even if it's just nine, 9%. Using this ETF, right? I mean, I'm I'm assuming that's not like yeah. So it's it's a lot of people are looking at for inflation. They're looking at things that worked in the 70s. And my point is, the rates market, even the Treasury market, Treasury inflation protected securities didn't exist that way. So I wouldn't say it's less risk. It's just different. It's using interest to balance out the portfolio, right? Because I can't like come on. Let me go do a really risky. Oil is very expensive. You know, it might go up more. There are some structural issues, but adding a lot of people are kind of looking at what happened in the 70s, looking at commodities or looking at cyclical equities that are tied to commodities. And this is this is a, you know, really, I think, simple way to capture inflation expectations using the rates market that a lot of people don't have, you know, that exposure in their portfolio. So it just looks like it's something else. And if you go to the our website, eyeballetf.com, you can pull up our fact sheet. We've had really very little correlation to most asset classes. And that makes a lot of sense because it's something different, right? It's not saying it's always going to make money or it doesn't involve right, risk. Right, right, it's right. just a different type of risk. And that's- it's, like, I, it's not correlated. Yeah. I mean, I get it because yeah. like in 2008, I was a financial advisor in 2008. And I remember like the kind of saying was like, there's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere yeah. to hide. Like if we're, whether you're in stocks, whether you're in bonds, whether you're in real estate, like everything was just crashing. And so no matter how you were invested in, you can't just like go sit in a bank account, like you're losing an inflation. So like, whoa, that's at least what I heard, you know, and I was not like the best uh, money manager of all times, maybe the worst, <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, nowhere to hide. But what you're saying is like, and, and again, I'm just going to put words in your mouth and you correct me is that, we're going back into this volatile time. Like this, is, I'm assuming you don't think this is over. 
right? Like this is like, just not, this is not the end of what we've been going through with the first six months of the year, you know, being volatile is that there's probably going to be a lot of volatility and you need to bat like your with you and your, your client's portfolios. Like you want to have things that are not all correlated. And what you're saying is like, here's an option. You're not saying like go hundred percent eyeball, right? You're saying no, yeah, here's yeah. something to pair up or to put into your portfolio that can help balance it. Not in necessarily a way that's going to outperform. You're not saying that, not in a way that's going to do, you know, like that's going to beat the stock market. What you're saying is this is a way to have non-correlated assets in your portfolio so that you can balance it out. And so that you're, and it's not when let's say stocks, bonds, real estate, real estate hasn't crashed yet, but I think everybody's anticipating that it will. I don't know if you are, many people are anticipating that it will, but you're saying like, there is a place to hide. It's, we don't have to all go down together. I'm not saying a place to hide, but I think the thing we try to really educate advanced financial advisors are is any place in their fixed income portfolio that they have core fixed income or things like the ag or mortgages, they're only short interest rate volatility. They're short fixed income volatility. And that makes sense because homeowners are along the option to prepay. The owners of that financial mortgage are short the options like financial crisis. Did we learn anything? So as the Fed has just started to unwind their balance sheet, that will likely create more volatility. And I think a lot of investors are saying, look, we're going to take our core fixed income. We're going to add IVOL to neutralize the short vol of the mortgages and a lot, at least not only be short fixed income volatility. I think there's a lot of attention in the media um, and on TV about the VIX index, right? That is equity volatility. Um, most people are only short fixed income volatility in their bond portfolio from mortgages. So I think there any place that there's an options market, there's a vol market, and there are lots of different types of volatility markets. And I think the thing, the solution that we're trying to give to investors is to say, look, we're trying to fix the problems with tips. Like for instance, tips are bonds. They do lose money when long dated yields go higher based on their duration risk. Um, you know, I've all had about uh, a little over 600 basis points about performance in the second quarter this year because we made money on long the 10-year yields going higher, right? So the problem with a lot of investors use short duration when they're worried about higher long-term yields because um, they don't want to lose as much money like when yields go higher, bond prices go lower. But the problem with short duration is it's still it's kind of like a fake name. It's not short anything. It's just really less long. <laughs> and right, because so, you seem short and I'm thinking like similar to shorting the market, but you're talking about it's short. Not short. It's just, yeah. Yeah. It's it, if you have a, let's take a simple example. If you have a three-year duration, you're still long duration. If you have a one-year duration, you're still long duration. And think about the front end of the curve has actually been the most volatile place to be because that's where the number of Fed hikes are priced in, right? That's when you look at the the CD market or the T-bill market, you can see it's dramatically upward sloping because the rates market, I'm looking at my Bloomberg screen right now, we have 204 basis points of additional hikes fully priced in by the interest rate markets in the next five and a half months. Like this is just 2022. Like think about how crazy that is. The Fed has only hiked 150. In reality, 150 basis points. They need to hike 204 basis points just to meet expectations for rate hikes. And so Ival can actually profit from less Fed hikes. So 240 if they 204, I'm sorry, if they don't meet that, or higher long-term yields. And I think 
that's why it's so different because you don't really have to take a bet. If you just buy a bond, you're taking a bet on lower yields, right? Eyeball has bonds and those like lower real yields because they're tips, but the options don't really care about where interest rates are. We want the spread between short and long dated yields to widen or the yield curve to steepen. And it's currently inverted. It's actually negative. So, which is, which is wild because that means an investor will get paid less yield to have a longer term. That's one thing I do. It it doesn't make any sense because you're taking more risk and getting paid less. Right. 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 That's so, and I like, I mean, I, I know you've now said this multiple times, but just about the spread, like it's a different way to make money. So it's like, you're, you're actually making money on the spread. Well, this is awesome. Um, well, everybody go to ivoletf.com, check it out. And um, thank you so much for joining us. That was like, that gave me a little bit of a head explosion, but like really in an awesome way, an awesome it's way. Awesome. I feel, smarter. I feel smarter walking out of this. Like I can talk about at least inflation a little better. So thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on Growing Your Financial Business the Women's Way. I actually have the link for the tag challenge, the appointment generator challenge. So instead you can just go to femalefinancialadvisors.com and register right now so that you can get five quality appointments in just five days. Now, this is not around, you know, you having to talk to friends and family and get all awkward. This is not about you having to spend marketing dollars online or create a whole funnel. This is going to be easy. It's simple. It happens in five days. If I can get you five quality appointments in five days, then you know that you can have the best year of your life because you just need to get in front of more of the right people. We will walk through it together as we do it. So do not miss this. And if you can, if you're smart, do VIP, spend a few extra bucks and you can actually spend time with me on Zoom where I can connect with you, get to know you and really help you get those quality appointments so that you can grow your business. And um, go ahead again, register at femalefinancialadvisors.com. You'll find it all there. It's happening, coming up very, very soon. So make sure to register, claim your spot, get in on this, get excited about it, block your calendar because you need to spend about an hour to an hour and a half uh, a day with me on the Thursday, Friday Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so that you can get these results. And it does work. The most appointments I think we got in those five days, uh, someone, I think it was Dana, got 33 appointments. So you could be my best student and go well beyond the five quality appointments. Go to 10, go to 15, go to 20, and set yourself up for the best year ever. Can't wait to see you at the Tag Challenge. See you there. Thank you again for listening to Growing Your Financial Business the Woman's Way. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.